Hello, and welcome to Dungeon Talk, the general advice and discussion podcast from D&D Academy. I am Michael, and this is Dungeon Talk, episode number 32, Making Friends on the Internet. In this episode, we cover a couple different topics. We start with some next news, discussing the uh, release date, or the announced release, I should say, of Dungeons & Dragons 5th edition. We then talk a little bit about you know, kind of our experiences with Next and what we hope it will do and become and talk a little bit about Watsi's discussion on content versus new rules, talk a little bit about subclasses and their role, and then we kind of finish up with a longer topic about plot versus situation in your games. So as always, we want to thank you guys for listening. Uh, We're always open to some feedback, so whether it be an iTunes review, a Stitcher review, uh, some comments on our Facebook page, or just a tweet or an email, please let us know how we're doing and how we can do better. Uh, we do really appreciate the, the reviews on iTunes. They help us get noticed. And then most particularly right now, we've noticed that by far the majority of our traffic is coming through the rpgpodcast.com website. And it's possible to go on there and recommend episodes. We are currently about number 20 or so on the leaderboard list, which is up dramatically just over the last few weeks. We've had quite a few people that have helped us out. So if you haven't, please take the opportunity, and if you do feel that we are a show that you would recommend, please click on that Recommend Episode button for our episodes. I think you can go back as far as six or seven episodes total, and every recommend pushes us up the list. We're kind of at a spot now where we need about 21 more to jump us into the top 15, and we need about 3,000 more to get to number one. So that's something we'll work on in the future. But again, thanks for listening, and here is Dungeon Talk Episode 32, Making friends on the internet. All right. Well, what I kind of wanted to start with to get some things that's kind of out of the way is I wanted to start with some next news. And uh, the big announcement is that the fifth edition will be coming out in. August 2014 at Gen Con is the the expected release date, and um, the newbie DM, who's one of the guys I follow on Twitter, and if you don't, you should, pretty much called this day one. As soon as the play test was announced, he said they're going to release this uh, next year at Gen Con or, or 2014 Gen Con because that corresponds to the 40th anniversary of the original Dungeons and Dragons release. There was some kind of him and Holland from Watsi about that. I don't know if they just didn't want to announce it that early, but they seemed like they were playing coy and that that wasn't going to happen. And sure enough, it did. So another reason why I'm pretty excited that I'm going to Gen Con uh, in 2014, uh, among other reasons, uh, is that I'll be there for the release and hopefully get my hands on uh, on a copy right away. Now, I know I, I've been doing some extensive play testing through the podcast. Uh, Caleb, have you ever actually got to play next or any experience with it? I have not gotten to sit down around the table and play, but I have read through the playtest documents with my gaming group, and we have kind of shared our ideas and opinions back and forth. Like I've said previously, it's just really hard for us to commit to a solid gaming time. So, okay. So, well, some overall thoughts from you, like what's the maybe the couple biggest things that you like or excited about? A couple things that you're yeah, that's not so much on. Well, I think one of the biggest problems, not problems, but one of the biggest issues we felt at the time was we didn't know 
what the finished product was going to be. And it was definitely kind of jarring to go from one extreme to the another, or to the next, I should say, um, through all of the playtest packets. Some of them felt really, really familiar to what we were used to. Some of them felt really, really alien and strange. So we, we just couldn't get a good momentum. We couldn't get a good flow going. So it was hard to really get a sense of what's going to happen next. Yeah, and, and I get that. I um, there My favorite packet isn't the most recent. Like My favorite packet was one of the earliest ones, I think maybe even the second or third, is where I felt that the game was just what I was looking for. Super simple, quick, but the, the classes felt differently from each other, felt different from each other, I should say, and uh, it was just a lot of fun. And not that the, the recent ones aren't, but I almost feel like the more rules they add, the less I'm liking it. <laughs> um, and some of those very pared-down rules, actually, I thought were better. The, the thing that I think got me in kind of what you're saying is there was a process in my mind where we would start with the first playtest packet, and then each progressive packet would be closer to a finished product, where they would just be tweaking, adding, and you know modifying a little bit. And that's that's not what happened. Every packet wasn't necessarily a build on the previous packet. Sometimes it was vastly different rule sets because they wanted to see how this played in relation to that. So there were a couple packets where it was almost a different game from the packet before. And when we were trying to do a game, you know, a campaign based on that, it did become difficult. And there were some cases where we just skipped packets and didn't upgrade to those or we we brought in parts that we liked and left out parts we didn't because for us the game was more important I guess than the, the packet uh, which is probably a really shitty way for them to feel about a playtest but overall I'm still a fan of Next I'm very excited about it and I, you know, I was on the Google Hangouts not too long ago talking to people about it and obviously there's a lot of praise and there's a lot of um, you know sourness in the communities and uh, somebody asked sort of a general question, you know, like, why should you care? And I, for me, I guess it's just the uh, the fact that I started with D&D a long time ago. It was my gateway drug into this uh, hobby. So the name D&D means something to me. And I know that it doesn't to everyone. I want there to be a good D&D game, even if I don't play it. The next game that we're getting ready to start in my group, we're actually going to take a break uh, since Evans left and Nico left. We're going to start a new game, and we're going to play Fate. And if it works out, we may play that for a while. But it, you know, it's still D and D is still what I love the most, and it's always going to mean a little bit something to me. Yeah, I agree with you. I think when you say that word, when you say Dungeons and Dragons, it evokes a very specific memory to people, and whether it's good or bad or, or whatever that is, it means something. And I always like when they come out with a new edition because it's like the new cell phone, the new computer. It's something new. It's something fun to play with. You're not forced to play with it. You can always go back and bust out your old 3-5 books or 4 books or whatever. But seeing something new, um, seeing something that is important to you that's part of your life growing and developing, it's always fun to be part of that, to look at it, to witness it. I think they come out with a lot of really interesting features in the playtests, specifically advantage and disadvantage always struck me as something that was really, really valuable. 
Oh, I'm, I think I've said before, but that is by far my favorite thing. I just think it's, it's an elegant mechanic. It does so much. It removes so much unnecessary weight. And I'm sure there's power gamers that would prefer it the old other way where you have things that stack and subtract and add. But from a DM standpoint, I like being able to go like, oh, that's a really cool thing. I'll give you disadvantage, and if, it, if you, you hit, it works. You know, sure, you want to throw the, the king off the throne and into the fireplace. All right, I'll give you disadvantage. If you hit, you it happens. It's just such an easy way to manage those situations in the game. And I'm not sure that the math balance is out, but I don't really care. You know, it has that coolness factor, and it plays at the table well. So, yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm advantage disadvantage is a, 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 a huge win in my mind. It's uh, as what to 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 use one of your favorite words. It's a very organic way to approach the game. It's really easy to use that tool for a zillion different scenarios. Whether it's okay, it's storming out, so everyone has disadvantage. Or, hey, you guys planned really, really well for this encounter, so you all get advantage. You can, uh, you can use that in so many different ways, and I think it, it feels better than just saying, okay, you get a plus two, or you're at a neg five. It, yeah, I, I, do, I think even, you know, that the, the, the elusive immersion that everybody strives for in your games when you start trying to do the math and you figure out, okay, is that a plus two or a plus three, you're now doing math. You're above the game, you're above the table, you're doing math, and then you have to sink back down into the game and apply that bonus or that negative or penalty, whatever. And I think with disadvantages, it, it goes so quickly, in my mind, it, it helps with immersion and it doesn't distract as much as pulling out three rule books and trying to figure out if this feat stacks with that feat and, you know, can you do this and can you do that? And again, I'm sure there's people out there that enjoy that, but not for me and not for my table. So along with that, what do you think they'll call it? And there's this next has not been a very popular moniker. It doesn't seem like you know, it's been ridiculed. And I think a lot of people are now just referring to it as 5e. So do you think it'll even have a title or will it, will it just be Dungeons and Dragons 5e? I think it's just going to be 5th edition. I mean, last... Um... When they did 4th edition, it was just 4th edition, and there was nothing wrong with that. I think, in my opinion, the next moniker, it felt like just the, the playtest world. Here's the next thing we're playtesting. When it comes out, it'll be real, but for now it's not real. Yeah, I agree. I think the next was just a, a, a work-in-progress title, and it fits very well for the playtest. This is the next iteration of D&D. Help us create it. And I, I mentioned this on Twitter uh, probably a couple months ago. I actually think that they screwed up when they rolled out the Essentials line, trying to save 4th edition, because I think Essentials is the perfect name for what they're trying to do. If they just called it D&D Essentials, that pretty much encapsulates everything that they're trying to do. This is all you need to play any version of D&D that you want. You can add on this, you can add on that or subtract, but this is the essential experience if you're looking to play Dungeons & Dragons. So my vote would still be for Essentials because I think the 4th edition version of it is so minute that I don't think it's necessarily going to just, you know, I don't know if there's going to be any brand issues in, in the public domain, but I don't know if anybody agrees with me on that. Yeah, I, when, when Essentials came out for 4E, I called that like 4.5 because they really just 
fine-tuned a couple things, and it was so weird. It was like, hey, here's 20 books to buy for fourth edition, and now we're releasing, quote, essentials, which cherry-picked what everyone pretty much picked out of those 20 books and made you buy another book just to have it. Right. I think, though, it depends if fifth edition really is that true modular game that they were talking about for a while. I, I think it would be really interesting if they successfully pulled that off. And well, I don't doubt anything that Watsi does, but I'll wait to read the book. Oh, of course. I, you know, to kind of circle back around, one of their their goals, or at least one of their talking points, is that they wanted to get away from releasing new rule supplements regularly, and that they would supplement, you know, obviously their, their business, they need to make money, that's why they do this, is to release content. And for me, that makes a lot of sense. I would much rather, you know, buy a nicely hardbound module, uh, you know, in the vein of Ghosts of Dragonspear Castle that came out not too long ago, and give me content that I can use in my games rather than adding in a new class that changes how things are balanced or a new feat that I'm never going to use. I would much rather them give me a, a content that I can use at my table instead. So I actually really hope they stick to that and that we don't start getting these books that just you know add to, add to, add to, and they make it so convoluted that as a DM it's impossible to know if this character is going to be unbalanced because they're using a you know a third-party splat book race, a third-party splat book feat, and they're using the newest version of the class you don't even know what those do anymore. They, they could basically be playing Star Wars at that point. You don't know what's happening at your table. Oh, I agree. Um, I'm, I am still a huge 3.5 advocate, but I will always complain that 3.5 was so needlessly complicated. Every book had either a new class or an alternate version of an existing class, pages of new feats, new spells, new versions of old things. Towards the end of 3.5, they did start giving us some actual legit content, but it was usually in one of those crazy books. Yeah. Um, I, I would love to see a dedicated, here's the rule set, and every quarter, here's X new adventures. And... Sometimes, sure, here's a new class that is specific to this one world. Or, hey, let's release a pirate adventure, and here's a couple pirate tweaks you can add to the fighter or the cleric or whatnot. I think what they're trying to accomplish, or what their, their aim is, is to use subclasses. And you know, from mm -hmm. some of the recent uh, Legends and Lore articles that Mike Merles has put out, is that's, that's kind of what they're aiming for, is that if you're running a pirate-themed game, you as the dungeon master and your players, you would develop your own subclasses that would sort of, uh, you know, whittle down the fighter or the rogue or maybe both and make them accentuate what a swashbuckler would do and kind of not worry so much about the other stuff. For me personally, I actually would have preferred that they just stuck with four classes. You have a fighter, a rogue, a divine caster, an arcane caster, and everything else would have been a subclass off of that. And I think that, um, I think they're, and this is one of those cases where I do feel like they're beholden to the old editions too much, and that they wanted to have a barbarian, and they wanted to have a ranger, and they wanted to have a monk, 
So they made these classes that really could have just been subclasses of the other classes and, again, kind of kept the math a little bit thinner or lighter and a little less top-heavy. And even, you know, multi-classing, if I want to play a paladin, then I play a fighter who's also a cleric, and there should be some special rules for that. If I want to play a ranger, then that's just a subset of the fighter who's, you know, more into the woodsy stuff. So for me, I actually would have preferred that they went that route, which they're kind of doing with subclasses, but I, I still think they're, they've added too many classes already. Yeah, I, I think that would be a very fun game to play, but I think it inherently would have to feel different than what smacks across as D&D. And I think WotC is a company. WotC has to play to the majority of the people that are going to buy the books. And I think that's a, uh, a call that they made financially rather than style and substance. Yeah, I agree with that. I think that's something that and I don't even know that that's a better answer. I think that's part of the reason why they did it. But being a reasonable person, I'm not going to say, well, I'm never going to buy 5th edition because of that. I think it would have been a better game because of it, but that doesn't mean that I won't buy it and won't play it and won't enjoy it. I will just every now and then kind of sigh and go, ah, if only, you know, and then and then move on. And, and, I, then, and then we go on and make our own game. Exactly, we do that anyway, so that's why all, all DMs become uh, amateur game designers at some point. Right. This is two weeks in a row. I'm, I am not making friends and influencing people, because I keep getting into Twitter fights and, uh, and Google and Reddit fights. And uh, I'm, I'm really proud of myself that I, I didn't, um, you know, I didn't go off on this guy. I didn't call him any names. I just kind of reiterated my, my point, because I, I think he truly misunderstood but he did that classic thing in on internet speak where rather than saying i think or in my opinion he just stated his opinion as fact and that just drives me flipping crazy so anyway uh, for those of you who are not in the know caleb who uh, runs kind of our facebook fi- uh, site for us our facebook page um, every week approximately he uh, he puts up a gm motivation which is just a, you know a couple paragraphs put together about some topic that's on his head, and, and the whole point is just to kind of you know get people thinking, get people talking on the site, which which is what we're, we're looking for is to try to build that community. And one of your recent ones, you talked about plot, and your sort of recent I don't know, I may be speaking for you, so I'll let you cover this, but uh, kind of thinking about your game in terms of each night at the table is an episode of a show and plotting out what's going to happen, how it connects to previous episodes, how, what it means for the over, overall plot, and then also just doing the little previously on Lost or, you know, then, like the whole supernatural thing where it goes then, and it gives you background, and then now, and it cuts you to the, 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 the current episode, and just kind of keeping players uh, up to speed. And we took some flack for it. So I'll, I'll start, but I'll let you make sure that I, I covered that correctly. So just kind of recap what your your motivation was supposed to cover. Okay, so my motivation for my motivation was to address how we as GMs pace our games. If we look at it as the gigantic start to finish and then we just carve out chunks for each session at the table, or if we could try to break it down 
into manageable segments. And part of my reasoning for thinking about this, brainstorming about this, was to address the dilemma of what happens when people miss a game or when people have to leave the gaming session for whatever reason. Um, I think if we are looking at the overall story from start to finish and we lose a player, that can really have a negative effect on the game. But if we are trying to uh, think of the game as one night at a time, that quote-unquote TV episode session, if a person's not there for one episode or has to exit the show for whatever reason, it's a little bit easier for us to manage as GMs. It's, it's easier for us to recover from that blow, and we might be able to turn that into a more interesting plot point. So when I was just brainstorming that on the Facebook page, it was more of a, look, how, how, how do we address, how do we think about, how do we look at each session at the table? What does it mean? What is that, what's that element of time? What's that, what does that encompass for us? So um, what I did basically is I took your GM motivation and I just copied it into Google and then I copied it onto Reddit again, just to kind of try to keep the conversation going. And as previously stated, there were a couple people that were pretty directly saying that uh, we are doing it wrong. And I think what happened, because uh, the one in particular, he, uh, the, the, the line was, behind every domineering GM is a frustrated novelist. And I think, because in one of your very first paragraphs, you mentioned, hey, you know, Michael wants to be a writer. I want to be a writer. And, you know, again, just kind of calling back to some of the previous podcasts, I think this guy kind of read into that. And when we use the term plot, he thought we essentially were writing a story and the players were playing in it, but they were playing parts we had written. And that they, if they didn't follow along with the story, that we would force them to or, or something along those lines. And they, they basically, a couple different people said that you should use the term situation. That that's a better descriptor of how a role-playing game should be. Because rather than being a plot, there should be a situation that the PCs become involved in with no set outcome already anticipated or expected by the GM. So how would you respond to that? Well, first off, let me say that that is exactly why I typically stay away from large online forums. <laughs> Because I, I have been known to say the wrong thing from time to time. And um, if I'm not careful, I would probably end up launching out on some crazy tirade. And I don't want to do that. But in general, obviously their opinion is valid. It's their opinion. I'm not going to argue with that. <laughs> I can see where they're coming from. And I do like the, see, I think the phrasing of situation, I like that phrasing, but it's not the word, it's more the context that it carries. And the context is, or the meaning behind that context is, as a GM, you're adapting to your players. You may write out events A, B, and C, and how your players get from A to B to C is what you, you can't anticipate that, so you can't plan that out. 
your job as GM is to react to their choices and keep the story moving. Yeah, and I would agree with that. And I think that, and and that's why I I, I feel like I took the high road. I, I'm, I'm much like you. If I wasn't representing the D&D Academy brand, I probably would have been a little bit more terse uh, in my responses. But that's just because the anonymity of the internet you know, breeds that. I used to play online poker, and we tell you that I, I had some, some exchanges I'm not proud of. But my response to this person, I think I put it in the notes that I sent to you, is that but what I mean by a plot is that things need to make sense. That you know, if the situation, to take their term, is that the PCs are going to be involved in a murder, so you know they're at a ball or a function or a formal get-together, and somebody is murdered, and everyone's a suspect, and within that game, I expect that they're going to help solve the mystery of the murder, then I need to know who was murdered, I need to know by, by whom they were murdered, and what the motive was, because I can't build a mystery game if I don't know those. You know, I'm a very improv-heavy GM, but those are the details that if I make up on the fly, I'm going to screw up. And if I decide, you know, if, if one of the PCs does some investigating, and I still may make this up, I may just make up on the fly, okay, you've examined the bodies, and you're pretty sure that the killer was left-handed and that they were taller than the victim. All right, so when we finally learn who the killer is at the end, they had better be left-handed and taller than their victim or I screwed up, and I think that's going to hurt the story overall. So when I talk about plot, that's what I mean is that I know what's happening. That doesn't mean that I expect that they're going to talk to this NPC first. This is what they're going to learn. That will take them to this NPC, and they'll learn this. And you know, I may have some of that in my head, but I'm going to let them dictate what happens. And if they go in a completely different way than I expected, then yeah, like I said, I'm just going to roll with it. I'm going to react to it, and if that's what happens that's what happens because i'm i'm not in their words a domineering gm at least i don't think that i am but i still want to have i want to prepare something i want to have an idea of what information is available to the players however they get it by whatever methods or whatever npcs and and the example that i would use is uh, going back to the, the made men game i think it was episode 16 where the plot that I had come up with is that I put the PCs in a situation where they owed the elf people money, and I expected them to go back into the city and you know spend several levels getting money to they to pay off this debt, and instead they figured out something I had hadn't thought of, completely screwed that idea up, and negated that debt the very next game. I'm like, okay, that's what happened. And uh, I think that's why I took offense to that domineering GM crap, because I don't think that's what a domineering GM would have done. I would have found a way for that not to work. And I was so happy on how that, you know, I think we even talked about it in a couple of Dungeon Talks. I was so happy about that because it was a real moment that could not have happened in any other type of game, because it was a truly unexpected moment that something that had happened that I didn't plan for gave them the ability to do something they hadn't planned for. And we all created together this unique story. Um, and that's what I live for as a DM. That's what I really enjoy. And that's why I think that probably the word plot and the word situation are a little bit more interchangeable than this Reddit conversation thought. I absolutely agree. When I write a campaign, which I'm doing right now, I'm writing the plot of that campaign to, to know the overall event. It's like writing the, the main events that happen in a scene. 
and how the PCs enter that scene, how they interact with those static plot points I've created, and how they move on to the next scene. That's them playing the game. I don't control that. I put the pieces on the board. I know what those pieces do given certain stimuli, and I let the PCs figure it out. Like when I write the campaign that I'm doing right now, my, my paper is covered with five or six if-then clauses because I like to try to prepare myself ahead of time, knowing my players and knowing what they are likely to do. I try to give myself a couple notes so I'm ahead of the game. But I also that also helps me get a little more invested with the NPCs I've created and with the world I've created so that I'm more familiar with how these imaginary people would react to the unpredictable nature of my players. And exactly like you said, I love when the PCs come up with something absolutely insane off the wall because that just makes that moment of social gaming so amazing for everyone at the table. It's no longer me telling a story and you participating. It's all of us together fleshing out this world and these events. And I think, and it, you know, at the end of the day, that's why I think we play these games are for those moments that you can't really recreate in any other type of game. And I, yeah, I kind of had, had sort of followed up that point that I sent you with, but we can still talk about plot and, you know, and how much plot is too much. When does it become railroading? Uh, what about, you know, could you truly have an open world game and would anybody want to play in it? I probably would not, to be honest with you. I use the example of the video game Skyrim. Have you played Skyrim? No, but I know all about it. Okay. So most of the people who play at my table have played the game multiple times, multiple characters. They love the game. And by all measures, I should love Skyrim. It is a, basically a game that was created for me. But last year, about this time, again, that's when I had my brain tumor. And I had surgery, and it was going to be off for a month. So I went out and bought Skyrim before my surgery, expecting that I would play it while I was recovering and off work. I played it one time. I put the disc in, I started playing it, and, you know, spoiler alert, basically, you're getting ready to get killed. Apparently, something that we were the wrong side of a revolution, I guess. We're about to be executed. A dragon shows up and all hell breaks loose, and you're supposed to use that opportunity to get away. I'm running around. I don't know where I'm going. I'm just trying to get away from this dragon, and I turned the game off, and I've never turned it back on. Because for me, that was too open world. I needed a little bit more guidance to help me get into that world. And, and the other side is I would use the game Mass Effect, or even before that, Knights of the Old Republic, the old Star Wars game. That's one of my all-time favorite games. You wake up with amnesia, but the game tells you, and I don't necessarily mean like, you know, press A to attack, but it says, you need to go here. And then you are led there. You, you know, you have like two different ways you can go, and they both go to the same spot. So you pretty much can't get lost. And they, you go through like a little prologue scene. It teaches you the game, teaches you the mechanics, but it still gives you guidance on how to go. And once I'm invested in that world, now I'm ready for it to be open world where I can be the good guy, I can be the bad guy, I can do this bounty, I can go here. But right off the bat, I needed structure. And the fact that Skyrim, I didn't feel provided enough of it, 
I just never felt a connection to the game. As a role player, I'm kind of the same way. I don't think I would enjoy being in a world where the DM just says, okay, what do you want to do? I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm a knight. I guess that means I should be chivalrous, unless I'm a knight like in George R.R. R. Martin's books, and I'm kind of a jerk. So what kind of knight am I? There's so many questions that, as a role player, I, I don't truly know the answers to. I mean, that character was just created. And I'm going to fill in some details, but I don't really know the world yet, unless it's based on a novel I've read or, you know, a game we've been playing for years. So I, I don't want to just say, this is what I do. I want you as a DM to present a situation, and then I want you to back out. I, I'm kind of like Agent Smith in The Matrix, all right? I'm still bound by the rules of the game, but I can do just about anything with inside that that I want. So you say, okay, you're in a standoff you know, they've got the prisoner, you've got one of their guys, it's raining, and you both have guns. Perfect. I will find a way to do something interesting and probably funny in that situation, and I will enjoy doing it. But I don't know that I would ever get my character into that situation if it was completely up to me. Does that make sense? It makes perfect sense, and I am 100% in agreement with you. The GM doesn't necessarily exist to railroad what happens in the story, the GM exists to provide information and consequences, cause and effect. We kind of have to lift that level of immersion and step out of the game for a moment. If you were actually a knight, you would have been born in the world, you would have been educated, you would have known who your lord was, you would have known who the enemies of the realm were, and when you graduated night school, you would have been given a mission. <laughs> you would have known who to go stab. When we make a character and are presented a world, we need some guidelines. We need some restrictions. And I think when people use that phrase, quote, sandbox game or, quote, open world game, they're taking that from video games. They're taking it from GTA and Skyrim and all of that stuff. And those games have two levels. They have the, here's the plot, and you can decide how you get from point A to point B and what you do in between, but there's still a plot. And then they also have, well, specifically with GTA, the multiplayer aspect, where it really is just a living city that you can pop yourself into and do whatever you want. Drive a car, rob a bank, shoot somebody. But you're still following the rules of the world. You're still, like you just said, you're, you're bound by the laws of that reality and you're choosing how to react to a given situation. So when people, like on the right forums or whatnot, say, oh, well, you should just let it be open world, you can't do that. You can't have a 100% sandbox game. Because what that would be would be six people at the table, and the GM puts a map down and says, go. What the hell are you going to do? Right. But even if you did that, let's, let's say we're playing a, a modern game, uh, like a supernatural uh, show and like okay we're all monster hunters we all we're in we're in Chicago okay we want to go find some werewolves okay well the DM still has to make up if there's any freaking werewolves 
And right. if so, what they've been up to, and you know, how do we find out that information? And and that's what I mean by plot. Is I'm sure you could come up with a series of random tables. It's possible that you could just roll and go, okay, uh, there are werewolves, and you know, okay, we investigate, and you roll another die, okay, there's two of them. But at that point, that's not a role playing game. You know, you don't need a DM, and that may be a fun game, but that's not the game that we're playing. We're we're playing a game where there is a a mastermind that's trying to hold things together and make things interesting and and make choices that add drama and add tension. And so, you know, even if you don't want to have a plot, you just want to have a situation, there's still things about it that you're going to have to either decide beforehand or make up as you go that contribute to the plot. And, I, you know, I think I used the verbiage in the, in the Reddit post that I don't want to play in a series of vignettes that really don't connect together either. That That's a different game. That's playing Fiasco. Which I would like to play Fiasco, but that's you know that's not the game that I'm playing when I play an RPG, is because I want there to be a, a continuation of the story that goes from point A to point B, and it's really important to me as someone who wants to be a writer that at the end of my games you should be able to look back and connect the dots. And I'm not saying for for any situation that it's I'm not perfect at it. I definitely make mistakes. I can't remember NPC names to save my life, but there should be at least a logical progression where you can go, okay, I see that. You know what I'm saying? Like, it, it still has to make some sort of connection front to back, and, and that's all I'm asking for in a plot. So I think we've agreed that whether you use the word plot or word situation, that means what's happening. And while it's a good idea as a DM to have an idea of, of, of the situation and the plot and what's going on, we shouldn't be holding our players to it. If we decide that they're going to do this, this, and then this, and then they're going to confront the bad guy, and they decide to do something else, we should just let them do that with the understanding that that may be a bad idea. You know, They may decide to do something that doesn't allow them <laughs> to succeed. You know, If they decide that they're going to just start killing random NPCs until the villain confesses, okay, but... A, that's probably not going to work because that person probably doesn't care, and B, eventually all the guards are going to stop you and kill you, and now you're dead and the game's over. So, you know, not having a plot doesn't necessarily mean a good thing or a bad thing. It's just something to be aware of. Any last words on that topic there, Caleb? Um, the only thing I would feel I need to add is occasionally the players need to give us a small degree of that same leeway we give them and let us lay out a scene or two the way we want it to happen. I think while we possible as players, every now and again we come up with something that needs to happen or has to happen in a certain way. And as long as we don't make a habit of it, as long as we're not pushy and forceful, I think it's okay to do that. And I think the players need to roll with that. Because we are doing this to play a game we are doing this to see a story unfold. And sometimes there's that FMV moment where we can't do anything on the controller, and that's part for the course. I think you do have to be careful with that. And I know we've, we've touched on this in other podcasts, that if you have that moment in your head where the, the bad guy reveals themselves and they do a little bit of a monologue and they jump through the portal and now you've got this reoccurring enemy, they're going to find a way to kill him or they're going to get killed trying. 
that's not the type of situation where a character or player wants to, as you said, put the controller down and let that cutscene play. Because as soon as the, you know, the king's vizier steps aside and goes, "I am the killer," someone's going to say, "I shoot him." Like, wait, wait, wait! You know, he's he's giving a speech. No, no, fuck that! I'm going to shoot him in the face with my crossbow now. And then you have that situation with, okay, well, you know, that's where you can be railroady and like you say, okay, well, you know, he his magic doesn't let you shoot your crossbow or something stupid like that. So it just it's just good advice to avoid that situation if at all possible. Or, as you say, on occasion, just step in with narrative control and say, this is what happens. He gives his speech. He jumps into the portal before you can react. And if you tell it in that way, I think the players are much more likely to go, okay, well, that that just happened. But if you try to do it real time and actually monologue the speech, that's when they're going to interrupt you and say, no, I want to shoot him in the face. And, and it kind of breaks things down. So we've agreed that plot and situation are interchangeable and that that guy was a jackal. You can give us feedback and comments at our website, dndacademy.com. You can check out previous podcasts at our website and subscribe to future ones on iTunes. If you have a suggestion for a topic, we'd love to hear it. Email your ideas to podcast at dndacademy.com, and you can connect with us on Twitter at dnd underscore academy. As always, thanks for listening, and remember, if you're having fun, you're doing it right. <laughs>